Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the CEO Builder Podcast. I am your host, Tim Strohshine, along with the wise and profound oracles of business, Rich Tyson and Kevin Denny. On this episode, we'll be discussing why they say it's lonely at the top and the unique mental health challenges that are incidental with leadership. Let's get started. There's a lot of talk going around about mental health. We look at uh, Michaela Schifrin. Oh my goodness! And kind of what she's going through I feel with so her. Bad for her. Oh my gosh! And you could just see the anguish yeah. during her interviews. And then I look back at Simone Biles last year yeah. and how yeah. she kind of bowed out because of the stress and the, yeah. the pressure. And I thought about top performers and just how much pressure not only do they receive from their fans and family but from themselves. I mean, it's what Absolutely. what drives them to be top performers. So kind of piggybacking on that, it's got to be the same for CEOs or for people leading a business. They put pressure on themselves, and they also get pressure trying to support a business that supports their employees and their families. So there's a lot on their, sh- their shoulders. Absolutely. So I read an, an article from the UK, <clears throat> um, And it gave some pretty harrowing statistics regarding small business owners. Mm. And uh, I'll just read out a few of them. 66% of the survey say they have an inability to focus, which isn't too surprising. But 64% say they deal with anxiety on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. 63 have a disrupted sleep. 24% have panic attacks. Mm. So one in four almost. That's incredible. And 37% say they experience symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. And it's not talked about at all, I think, when it comes to business coaching. Oh, you're not supposed to talk no. about it. No fear. No, yeah. So I wonder, so here's a question. Um, is it just part of the job? Is that kind of what you sign up for when you decide to be a CEO? Um, if it is part of the job, how do you cope with it? What are some strategies to deal with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it's not, how do we get that out of the daily life? I think these are really crucial questions, and, and relative to doing a podcast, I, I think this is one we ought to talk about. Kevin and I have talked to a lot of what are out there, life coaches, and uh, and I've had people, my, my clients say, well, you're my business therapist, and that makes me nervous because I don't have any education in being a therapist, but these kind of issues are there, and, and I would say Tim, that yes, absolutely for for CEOs, small companies, large companies, all companies. If if you if you really care about your enterprise, you're going to feel incredible pressure. And and I I, I appreciate your comment about Michaela Schifrin because it isn't just CEOs; it's anyone who wants to succeed and do well. Uh, we we put extraordinary pressure on ourselves to live up to those high standards and uh you know the concept of burnout is real as is what you had talked about the loneliness uh, kind of gee this all rests on my shoulders um i mentioned the book team of rivals that uh, i'm now in my second reading of it um and uh, i think part of the reason that i determined i was going to read it again is uh, just reflecting personally on feeling a kind of a burden myself and saying, how did this man, Abraham Lincoln, 
He's a CEO, uh, CEO of a whole country, and he walked into a civil war. You know, literally his election uh, almost immediately Fort Sumter happening, and and the the Confederacy seceded, and and I, I look at it and I think, uh, wow, uh, he wanted this job. <clears throat> you know, what kind of craziness is that? And yet, I think entrepreneurs so often uh, we're we're crazy. You know, we we walk into what we see as a great opportunity to. Uh, grow something special to grow ourselves and then you're once you're in it it's kind of like uh why did i decide to do this and and i i think part of the role of of those like us who coach ceos is to have not just empathy for that it, it isn't just yeah well welcome to the club and too bad for you uh it's hey we we know where you're coming from and when you look at the way we talk to CEOs about their job description and, and we talk about our business success pyramid, uh, you're responsible for making money. You're responsible for satisfying customers to make money. You're responsible to create an operation that will go on day to day, month to month, year to year, that will continually serve those customers. You're responsible for creating a team that will be highly competent to deliver those outcomes and to be highly engaged. And, and oh, by the way, and then you have to recruit the right people to be those people. Uh, <laughs> that is a job description from hell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is. I mean, who wants to do all of that? <clears throat> and yet that does constitute business success. And when I look at an Abraham Lincoln, uh, yeah, it was about the issue of, of slavery and government and a lot of things that were important. But at the end of the day, he still had customers to satisfy uh, and, and some customers that left him. And, uh, and he wanted to pull it all together again. And boy, that's a mess. And then there's a, a racial overtone to it. And, and there's operational issues. It became, uh, this man had no experience being commander-in-chief over armies and, and recruiting people to be part of those armies and to ha have high morale. Uh, again, job description from hell, you know, and, and yet he stepped up and he did it. But there were dark days. Uh, one of the words that comes up over and over again in Doris Kearns Goodwin book is melancholy, which is depression. And he was a man of sorrows. You know, he was just overwhelmed. And yet he made it through. And so, you know, part of the answer, I think, and, and, and I've got several things I'd like to share with you, but part of the answer is that he knew himself well enough to say every once in a while, and, and some of this on a day-to-day -day basis, I've got to have some escape valves. And so he was a, a reader, a, 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 you know, he's self-taught. But in the midst of all of the nastiness and problems that he was facing, his evenings were often with a book. And, and it was not always anything to do with governing. It was novels that he wanted to read and uh, Charles Dickens and a variety of the, the current 
authors and uh, he loved poetry and so forth. And, and so he could pull himself out of all of the distress. Couldn't always do it. You know, a lot of what she talks about is sleepless nights and how am I going to solve this problem or that? But there was that. And then an extraordinary sense of humor that he could crack jokes at just the drop of a hat and had such an extraordinary memory and just a folksy manner. And people would often, you know, so many of his critics would say, well, what a bumpkin. How did we get this bumpkin as a president? And worse that they said about him. He never took that to heart. He, he just, uh, he was authentic. He was who he was. And so he, he could lighten the mood. And well, then it, he, he would give as good as he got, too. Oh, oh, he did. I mean, sometimes. his debates and his speeches, yeah, he would give well, just as good as he got. Deep, deep thinker. And one of the things that I was reading today is uh, sometimes people said such horrible things about him or tried to countermand his orders or whatever, and he was angry. And uh, on one occasion with one of the uh, generals, I think it was, but he, he wrote a fiery letter. It was General Meade after Gettysburg. He wrote this fiery letter to him. Basically, you know, I, I'm so offended that you didn't chase after Robert E. Lee and destroy him. You, you hesitated. Now the war is going to go on for so much longer. And then he, he just ripped on him. He, he got his, all of his emotion out in his writing, and then he put it in an envelope. And it, it uh, said uh, something to the effect of, uh, this letter will never be sent, never be seen. And... Obviously, it was by historians, <laughs> yeah. but he, he just had to, to vent. So some of, you know, you've got you to have some escape valves. Humor, let the anger out, but try to keep it to yourself. And again, that's some of that loneliness. Uh, you know, certainly uh, he didn't have a kind of marital relationship with his wife where he could share all of this with her. Um, uh, Seward, one of his, his secretary of state, he often shared some of this with him, and Seward would often say, hey, you need to tone it down or you need to ramp it up. And so some of that loneliness, you need some people around you that care and that you can talk to. And uh, But he also, with his wife, Mary, he, he would take carriage rides and go for long walks. And, and I, I think bringing it back to CEOs today, I don't, I, I can never tell any of them that you won't feel pressure. Uh, that, that's a lie. But you've got to find some ways to take care of yourself. You've got to be able to have some escape valves. Uh, if you like to read, read. You know, I'm a big proponent of that. But if, if it helps you to watch TV or, you know, uh, play some games on your, your phone or whatever it is, you've got to have some ways to, to, to get away from it a little bit. And uh, again, I'm a big proponent of taking long walks and thinking, and uh, but some of that thinking is think about how beautiful the earth is instead of all the worries that you've got. That doesn't mean, however, that when you come back, you don't sit down and you go to work or walk the plant floor or whatever you need to do. I, I, I think there's a real danger in saying, well, what you really need to do is just play all the time and it'll all go away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, your business will go away. It will go away. <laughs> so, there's a lot of parallels between a good business leader and obviously Abraham Lincoln. Before we go any further, can you tell the title of that book and who's the author? Yeah, it's Team of Rivals, and it's a bestseller. Um, 
Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln by Doris Kearns Goodwin. High, high recommendation to read that. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, the challenge, you know, we, we work on book reviews and so forth. I'm not sure how I can write a book review on this. It's not light reading. That's a, that's a <laughs> dense book, but yeah, definitely yeah. worth it. But it, it is so worth reading. And, um, you know, and, and then, Tim, if I may, I'm taking way too much time because no, I want Kevin to speak up too. But this is another one that I use this all the time to coach CEOs who are struggling with problems. It's A More Beautiful Question by Warren Berger. And if you, I can flip right to the page here. This is, uh, it's really three questions. Why, what if, and how that will help you get to a solution. And so when you look at challenges you're facing in your, your leadership, and this could be in your family, in your marriage, whatever else, ask yourself, why is this happening? Uh, why do we have the current solution that isn't working? Why are we failing? And then what if it was different? You know, uh, Kevin's aware of this with one of our clients. Uh, he said, you know, I'm, I'm just in such a mess. I don't know what to do. And, and I said, well, uh, let's talk about kind of the what if questions if it was good, what would it look like? A little bit of a different version of that. But, and he said, well, if it was good, I'd have this employee that I lost back. And, and I said, so that employee now is, and he says, in New England. And I said, have you talked to him? He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if he's the, the guy that can help you, why don't you get on the phone and ask him how things are going? Maybe it's not going all that well, and maybe he would come back. And he said, oh, I, he wouldn't. And I said, uh, I think I would try if I were you. Well, he tried, and this fellow came back. Now, was that a panacea? No. But it did help him break through the problem. So it's why is it this way? Well, I don't have all the horsepower I need. What if you could get that horsepower, and how would you do it if you could get it? And since it's one individual doesn't hurt to pick up the phone or Zoom him or whatever you want to do and see if you can get him back. And, and so many times over the years as, as a coach, I, and, and it was before I got this book, but boy, this one just, I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of what I do. Why is it the way it is? What if we did something different and how? One of my favorite stories in this book is about um, Van Phillips, who was a young man who... Um, got in a boating accident and lost his leg. And he had been an athlete and, uh, and when they fitted him for a prosthetic, it was a big old clunky pipe with a foot on the bottom of it. Jeez. And he, he wanted to run again, you know, he's a young man. And so uh, after a while of using this clunky thing, he says, why hasn't somebody created a foot that you could run with. And when he asked the question of all the prosthetics people, it was, well, that doesn't exist. I just, you got the good one. Use that. <laughs> and, and he said, well, what if we did something different? And so he started studying ways to get that. Please, Kevin. I was just going to say one of the, the interesting things was it was so important to the prosthetic makers that it looked like a foot. Yes. That was critical. It's like, well, it looks just like a real foot. 
you know, what's your problem? Yeah, yeah. And yet what he finally came up with, and he, he based it on springboard of uh, diving as well as how a cheetah's leg works and so forth, and ended up with the spoon type. The blade. Blade. Yeah. That today you see athletes running on. Sprinting on. Absolutely. Doing yeah. the Olympics in, yeah. Absolutely. And, and he was the creator of that. Uh, he ended up building an extraordinary business out of it, sold it for millions, and uh, the rest is history. But had he not challenged the, the current thinking? And so going back to why would I bring that up, part of the issue relative to breaking through problems and issues is having that other person that you can talk with and saying, well, let's just explore why is it the way it is. We have some issues that we're working through with our business, and, and I look at it and I say, okay, so it is what it is right now, but why is it? What would it look like if we could do it different? Are there some new ways to, to do it and do it better and serve our customers, our clients better? Every leader should, should think about doing that. And, and it's great to read the book, but there's also great merit in having somebody that will question your answers and, and challenge your thinking. Well, I think that's key when it comes to that feeling of loneliness, it's uh, it's probably because they just don't feel like they have anyone that understands how they feel. And I'm speaking of any high performer, CEO, athlete. But you look at, like, let's take Michaela Schifrin right now. Um, terrible couple days. Yes. Worst of her career. Just for reference, you might want to say where she's at and oh, what she's I'm doing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, she's well known. But, yeah, she is an Olympic skier. Uh, for the U.S., and uh, she had an issue. With, this is the 22 Winter Olympics. Her first two events, she did not finish. She fell, She, uh, which has never happened before. So she was devastated. Yeah. But yeah. what I found interesting is that uh, she competes again, I think tonight, again in the Super yeah. G. But uh, she's surrounded by people that support her and help her. Yeah. No one's telling her, oh, everything's going to be fine. Uh, yeah, it sucks. It was a terrible that uh, happens. You know, what are you going to do yes. to, to change well, and, that? And one of the things I noted with her, she made the comment, I'm going to paraphrase, but she said, I've known how to do this for years, I, I but I, I kind of like I forgot everything I knew. And and Kevin and I have talked a lot about this. When when Kevin was serving as, as CEO of the company prior to working with us here, uh, I remember a time or two where he would, you could tell by the body language and what you were saying that the confidence was shaken. Mm. Her confidence is, oh, is right. really shaken badly, and yet this is the same woman that's won all the world championships and everything else. But and and, and Kevin, we've talked about this. It's that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I really wasn't as good as oh. you know. And somehow I I kind of came through as the champion, and now I'm. It's all being exposed that I wasn't. Uh, no, don't buy into the counterfeit here. The reality is there's bumps in the road. And, and, you know, and just in our discussions together leading our little company, uh, there are things that, you know, being the CEO of the company, I, I'm frustrated with. And sometimes the way that manifests itself is it, it kind of undercuts my confidence. It's like, uh, gee, uh, I kind of forgot that I've been doing this for 32 years, and, and we've had some real successes. Um, but, you know, in, in the last couple of weeks, I felt down. And 
whether it's biorhythms or whatever else, those things are going to happen. But you, you hit it on the head with her. She's surrounded by people that care, that know her real worth as an athlete. Uh, and, and they won't uh, try to dress it up. It, it's terrible. But at the same time, uh, yeah, you got to own that, but then move on. And, and boy, it's tough to let it go. You know, one of the, the same Olympics we're talking about, Nathan Chen, mm. you go back to him in 2018, and, man, he just messed it up terribly. But this is the same young man that did it almost perfectly this time mm -hmm. and won the gold medal and set the – Broke records. Yeah, the highest score ever. And so you, you look at that, and I, I think that's encouraging. Uh, you know, the, the point isn't that you won't be lonely, you won't be depressed, you won't fall – you got to get up, and sometimes you need a hand. Sometimes it's it's that dear friend that'll help you out. Sometimes it's what we do. It's coaching people and saying, "Hey, uh, okay, this this is hard. Own it." But at the same time, uh, let's ask some good questions. See if we can't help you find another way to do this. And 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 then you go back to that heavy job description. You know, we've we've got to help you as a leader to have the enthusiasm of a visionary that will help you not be lonely. You know, uh, I, I love Herb Kelleher, who, the, the late president of Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. uh, he's such a great model of, uh, and, and I, I think everybody that knew Herb, they'd say, well, he never had a down day in his life. I don't believe it. I believe that he, he did as much as anybody else. But he was kind of Abraham Lincoln-ish, great sense of humor, and he just got out and pressed the flesh with his employees, with the people flying the airplane. Uh, and, you know, the basic eulogy to him when he passed away is Herb Kelleher loved people. And, and so what does that tell you about leadership? And this, this can be real hard if you're not a people person, but sometimes you got to get outside yourself and just engage with people. Uh, the Joe Vandenberg story, you know, this was one of our CEOs where I had all of the CEOs do a, a, a time audit. And so he tracked everything he's doing for about a week. And when I came in for the coaching session, he said, I'm so ashamed. I said, why? And he said, I waste so much time. And I said, well, let's look at your time log, see what it is. And he said, yeah, look at this. Every morning I waste an hour to two hours walking the floor, talking to my employees. And, and he said, I'm going to stop doing that. And I said, well, oh, oh, don't stop yet. We were going to have a CEO forum that week. I said, come to the forum and share with the group what you do and let's see what they think. And as we discussed it in the group, it was, wow, you do that? And well, how do your people react to that? And are all your conversations just wasted time or what What are you talking about well I ask about their families but then you know it gets to what's happening on the plant floor and how's your project going and sometimes I can pull the supervisor in and we kind of all talk together and he said I I pretty quick step out of it and let them do it but he said but you know there's a little connection to what we're doing as we talked about it the group said wait a minute this looks like you have built something that's very special to your people they seem to know that you care and that's only half of the formula. Because you care, they care about you, and they'll help you lift the load. 
Well, let's change subjects, or to, uh, let's go to Kevin. Kevin, Please. Kevin was the CEO of a electronics manufacturer. How many employees did you have? Sixty-five. Sixty-five. <laughs> so, tell us about from your experience. How would you answer the question about lonely leadership? You know, um, and I when I started with the company, uh, I I was just hired as an engineer. And so I worked with the other engineers and got to know them. And and um, more or less, we'll say I worked my way up through the company over time. Uh, what was interesting is I I really value personal relationships. I They're very important to me. And I put a lot of effort into having a good relationship with people. And... And, you know, some interesting things along the way. Uh, when I started with the company, it was about 20 people when I, when I joined the company. And it had only been in business about five years at that point. And, and what was interesting is lunchtime would come, and we were a fairly small company, and everybody would head in different directions and have lunch by themselves somewhere. You know, and this was pre-surfing the internet and cell phone and all those kind of things. Um, now it's common, <laughs> you know, to have everybody sort of in their own little world, but but not then. And I said, do you guys ever go have lunch together? And, and um, they said, no, we don't. And I said, do you want to? Oh, yeah, we'd love to. Why haven't you? And it's like, I don't know. We just never did it. I said, well, I'm going to go have some lunch. Do you want to go? You know, and there was some some fast food places close by or else we'd bring lunch and go sit, you know, around a table and we'd just chat and joke and get to know each other. Because in a work situation, you know, you're focused on work and all that and you learn about people over time. And I know some people don't want to get to know their coworkers, but for me it was important. And... So, so we started becoming friends and we started doing things outside of work together and, and we just became really close. And the thing I liked about that relationship and, and the friends is when things got stressful at work, which inevitably they will at some point, um, high stress, high pressure is, as Rich said, um, the nice thing because of our outside relationship, I felt like we had a good understanding of each other. Uh, even when we disagreed at work, it didn't affect our friendship because we had differing opinions and we accepted them as opinions. And, and I think, I think that that relationship that we had made our working relationship and and synergy even better. So we'll fast forward a number of years. I worked up, I became manager of the department, um, you know, eventually vice president. And I still kept really close ties with all these same people. Now, company of 65 people, you know everybody, you, you know, for good or bad. Um, we had... Long tenure, average tenure in our electronic manufacturing company was over 15 years. Mm -hmm. So we knew people really well. 
We knew what made them tick. We knew how to push their buttons. We, you know, all of those things. So as I was moving up through the various roles, everybody was very supportive. Um, my responsibilities changed as, as I went from um, manager of the department to vice president of the company to general manager. And, and everybody still felt kind of the same. And then one day it all changed. When you got the big chair. And that's the day I became CEO. <laughs> and it changed like somebody drawing a curtain. It was instantaneous. That's got to be such a unique challenge than just getting a CEO from outside the company, hiring from outside. Yeah, if you like come from outside, you don't know anybody anyway. Yeah, but S like growing up in the business, in the company. But, but oh, I'd been there 20 years at this point, you know? Oh, that would have been brutal. I, I knew everybody, and I knew them very well. And all of a sudden, it just changed. And I I would ask people, you want to go to lunch? And they'd say, but you, you, you don't go to lunch with people. You're not You're CEO. You're, you're yeah. <laughs> um, can we still be, you know, they'd say, can we still be friends? And most of the time, their answer was, I, I don't think you can be friends with a CEO because it will look biased. It will look favoritism. It, it will pushes look. you to that loneliness. There's sure. so much baggage that goes with that title, it seems like. Just so and much, you know, unintended consequences. It, it is. And I, I was kind of devastated because it's like, I've known you guys for over 20 years. And now, all of a sudden, our friendship just kind of stops. And and to be honest, I think it was fear. They didn't know since I, say, got that chair. They didn't they didn't know how, how it was going to affect me or or how I was supposed to be. It's you, you know I, yeah because the, the relationship is going to change. It's not going to be the same, right? And so I'm sure just kind of filling that out. But yeah, what a what a brutal transition. There's really multiple dimensions to it. I mean, they they weren't sure how you were going to function as a CEO. Some of them, I'm sure, said, "Well, now that Kevin's the guy, Kevin has all the answers. So we'll just wait for him to share." Mm. And then there were others, and I can I can see their faces, who said, "Why Kevin?" <laughs> you know, uh, I, and and subtly they were undercutting you, and and some not so subtle, right? You know, and and so you've got one of the things I've I've often done, and and I think we did this at one point. I know I did some of this with Marlon, is putting all the names across the top of a sheet and all those names down the side of the sheet, and then saying, okay, CEO, how are the relationships between you and these people? How are the relationships between them? Where are the rivalries? It's one of this thing, the team of rivals. Uh, a lot of what Lincoln dealt with was... Uh, uh, some I mean, of these politics. People, yeah, yeah. And, and some of these guys <laughs> didn't like each other, and, and most of them didn't start liking him. Mm -hmm. and, and so he has to manage all of the, the petty silliness, and, and Kevin had to do that. Uh, and again, I can think of names and faces that he had to deal with, 
and and boy, that's that's tough. And because you came into it with 20 years, there's already a lot of preconceived notions about who you are. I've come into organizations where I was the turnaround guy, and people are afraid of you. They're mm-hmm. not sure that they're going to keep their jobs. And turnaround, by definition, was, hey, we're losing money. We need you to be the fix-it guy. But what I did was very similar to Kevin. I said, let's go to lunch. And one by one through an organization, I took everybody to lunch, a little smaller than yours, about 45 people. It took me a month and a half to take everybody to lunch. And I had two objectives. One was to say, let's just get to know each other as people here. I'm not going to fire you. This isn't about uh, your last meal on earth. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, let's sit down and enjoy some time together. But the second piece is, if you were in my shoes, because you've been here, I haven't. What would you do differently, you know? Uh, and let's not make it blaming anybody. I did, I'm not here to have you identify who I ought to fire, mm-hmm. but rather give me some thoughts about if, if you were sitting in the chair I'm in now, what would you do? And I took a lot of notes, and, and I, I couldn't do what everybody was suggesting, but it did build a relationship and some level of trust because – you know, even as a turnaround guy, and, and you could be an Al Dunlap, Chainsaw Al, that probably doesn't mean anything to yeah. you, but he was the big turnaround guy back in, what, the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. where he would take over companies and come in and just... Cut costs. Cut costs. Fire people. Fire people. Yeah. Bottom yeah. 10% yeah. went away. Everybody gone. Every year. That would be and, a terrifying guy to meet. And, and he would improve <laughs> the bottom line for a little while, and that would get him a... a you know, a great reputation for a minute mm-hmm. and he'd move on to the next company before that prior one died. Yeah. You know, and so as a turnaround guy, uh, uh, he was responding to the pressure and figured out his little formula of doing terrible formula. It, isn't it kind of just lazy? I mean, he had a formula, bottom 10%. That just feels so lazy, no matter what yeah. the business is, who the people are. Yeah. And ultimately, it. it didn't just destroy companies, it destroyed him. Yeah. But uh, for a while, it was his key to making a lot of money and having a big reputation. And and again, the thing that caught up with him, ultimately, he was very much alone. Nobody, oh, yeah. nobody wanted bet. him around. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, the way I kind of dealt with it is I recreated relationships in a new way. Yeah, you had to start over almost. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And so I still, I wouldn't go to lunch with the same people every day. Um, and I didn't go out to lunch every single day either, but um, it became a strategy that I would go to lunch with somebody once or twice a week, and we would talk about various things. Mm -hmm. They saw it as time with the president. Mm -hmm. They saw it as I had the ear, you know, and he asked me questions about what I'm doing and all, you know, all those kind of things. And, and so it was different. It, it, it was quite a bit different. And I have to say, I still have, even to this day, friends in that company that are friends and, and will be forever. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of lonely days in my office and a lot of uh, kind of wondering what I did wrong, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody to talk to because when when it was strategic especially you know when you're when you're ceo you, you you wear a lot of hats but you're working mostly on the company mm-hmm. you 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 should be working on you know um 
the direction of the company, what's the vision and sharing it and getting people to understand that and getting on board. You're, you're looking at who are you hiring and why, and you know, it's, it's all this, it, it's not what you do, <laughs> you know, um, you know, you might make computers, you might, you might, um, clean carpets. It, it, it does, that, being a CEO isn't about what you do. It's about how you do it. And, and so there's, there's a difference and, and you spend a lot of time kind of alone. And the thing is, like when it comes to strategy, who do I talk to if I want to brainstorm? If I bring anybody in from the company, yeah, they're going to think, you're crazy. What's this going to do to me? <laughs> What's this do to my job? So well, I was thinking like, if what? you, if you try to brainstorm, <laughs> you're coming up with just out of the box thinking they're going to look at you and be like, really? You're not seriously considering that, are you? Right. And they, and, yeah. and so you can undermine your own credibility. Yeah. You can make people worry a lot. <laughs> um, you can put fear into them. That's not real. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just so many ways it can kind of run amok. Yeah. So how do you, who well, do you talk to? Same thing happens at home. If I go home to my spouse, and, and I have a spouse that's very engaged with what I do, but still she doesn't understand the, the details, the why and, and the reasons for certain things. And, and you know, I don't, um, she says I mansplain. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that too much where I get into all those nitty-gritty details and, and drive her crazy. I think that's... Kevin's explaining. <laughs> yeah, <I> yeah. Would... <laughs> uh, probably. But the thing is, um, in a lot of ways, she's looking at, well, how is this going to affect you? What's everybody else going to think of you? It's like that fear response. It's the fear response, yeah. the same. So, you're when you are sitting in that CEO chair, all of a sudden, um, you're kind of a person without a country in a way. You don't have anybody you can talk to, and. That's where I found unbelievable value in a group like CEO Builder mm -hmm. because Rich would come in and coach me and we could discuss anything because he wasn't in the company. He's somebody that cared about me as a person and wanted me to be successful. So he'd ask me really hard questions. It didn't matter what the politics were because he's not in that. And of course, we tried not to have too many politics, but they're real and they exist everywhere. Um, and absolutely the best thing for me was not only being able to talk to an individual, but when I came to the forums and I sat down with 15 to 20 other CEOs. That are in the same spot. They, they're in the same spot. They've either been there, done that, or they're going to be. or And we're all peers. There's no egos mm -hmm. because we're all in the room because we all kind of do the same thing. Different size companies, different businesses. But you know what? The problems are very similar. Because it's people. More or less. It is. Yeah. And when I felt like I've got to be the only person with this problem, and almost every single other person in the room, man or woman, would say, oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> it's it's comforting. It makes you feel like I'm not alone. This is 
part of the job and this is what you go through and they would give me great advice sometimes sometimes the problems were new and we could at least commiserate yeah and they understood what you're going through because they're going through it too. There's some catharsis in commiserating. Just oh, having a community yes. to absolutely. be like, man, this you job. Know, and, and <laughs> what Kevin is saying that I think is, is really important, and, and you recall, uh, I won't say who the CEO was, but uh, Kevin knows, um, one of my coaching sessions with him, he said, Rich, I, I don't want you to care about me. I just want you to care about my business. And, and I said, but this is all about you leaders. And if you're telling me not to care about you, we probably can't work together. Because it, it, you've got to get past the brand. You've got to get to the person who is running it. And, and that, I think, is uh, something of a unique value proposition to say, yeah, we, we're going to help you with the business. We realize that you have that whole business success pyramid to, to manage, and, and that's that job description from hell again. But um, you're an individual, and, and we care about you. That's the Joe Vandenberg thing. I care enough to ask you how your sick wife is. I, I care enough to recognize that you're a whole person that is so much more than just what you do at work and the job description you got at work is so huge that it can eat you alive and so you you need somebody who will certainly start with deep empathy for you but at the same time will not stop there it isn't well I'll put my arm around you and then wave goodbye as I walk out the door it's I care I I'm going to do my best to to ask good questions to help you face the things you you're dealing with and and solve them and that's not that we have all the answers, but we, we have been blessed to be well-connected with others that can help. And uh, certainly this never happened with Kevin, but, you know, I, I've had a couple of guys, CEOs, that got so depressed that they were suicidal. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being called in the middle of the night and going there. And, again, I'm not the therapist. I'm not their church leader. Uh, but they knew I cared, and, and I could help with that. And, and that, that's hard for us. I mean, uh, I don't like those situations. I, that's really frightening in a lot of ways. But it, it, it does it, go to the core of caring. Is it kind of awkward, though, to have that kind of such a personal relationship? Or is that a key to the success of a coach? Well, I think it can be either one, Tim. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> I, there have been an occasion or two in my career, it goes well prior to to doing this but uh where i just had to say hey um i'm not the guy that can help you and i i knew i wasn't and and it, i i it was a i guess to use the old uh, um, movie term a bridge too far <laughs> it was too far for me mm -hmm. but generally speaking uh you know it, it's it's this balance between yeah we have we have the if you will, the technical skills of business. We can help you get to business outcomes. But on the other side, we deeply care about every one of our, our clients every, and, and, and non-clients. You know, uh, uh, Fundamentally, it's about caring about people. It's all about people. And, and if for us, in the context of CEO Builder, 
if anybody's going to work within what we do within our company, if they don't have that, they can't be here, you know. And and I, I realize, and I've had this client that I mentioned. He said, "This is kind of that touchy feely stuff. Mm. Don't don't worry about caring about me. I don't want you to worry about anything other than helping me make my business profitable." And and I say, "Okay, I, that's one hand, but I got to have both hands, or it won't work for me." And, and that's very personal for me, but it's the way Kevin functions and. And, you know, when you look at an organization that is in the coaching and consulting world, for us, you have to have both of those. I can't sit in somebody's office and detach myself from caring about them. That just doesn't work. It's not, it's not the right way to yeah. do it. You know, I've had a couple of clients that I fired because they either were kind of in that mode or I had a couple that suggested that we do some things that were unethical and wanted me to be part of that and I care enough about myself not to do that mm -hmm. but on the other hand uh, it is that deep empathy for the loneliness and the challenges of it and I'm this isn't just words we know that this is one of the most challenging ways to make a living on the face of the earth whether it's president of the United States I mean, I'm not real thrilled with the current president. We've got a lot of problems in the country. But my goodness, what a job description. Yeah, uh, I yeah, have yeah. deep empathy for him. Uh, I, I wish he had better coaching. I'm, I don't know. think it's probably us. <laughs> but, uh, and, and I think, you know, I think it really comes down to realizing that at some point you're going to feel that isolation and loneliness. It's For, inevitable. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. You're going to feel it at some point. The last thing you need is a yes man. Oh, okay. Somebody that just sells you all your ideas are great and, you know, it it's feels kind of, good sort of for a second, but it doesn't help. But it's like the the opposite of the, okay, bottom 10%, you're gone. Then you got a yes man. It's like, hey, that's a great idea. It still burns the company. Yeah. No it's, it's, it's kind of like if you were on fire and say, and you got somebody coming up and rather than trying to put it out, they're trying to give you more gas, you know, well, you look good on fire. Yeah. yeah. You look good that way. Well, you know, when you go back to Lincoln and team of rivals, the reason he wanted this eclectic group of different viewpoints was so he heard everything. And so he didn't want yes, men. Oh yeah. And, and they would f squabble with each other and he'd have to referee and try to find the middle ground. Uh, and often it was he he'd decide something entirely different than any of them wanted to do, but he needed to hear from the group. And we've talked a little bit about this together. Uh, you know, I've been on boards of directors where I've been invited off the board because they say you always raise questions. Well, we believe in what we say here. We're here to question answers, not to answer questions. And and that if you do it with with full authenticity, without a, an agenda other than to help, will help you get to the answers you need. But ultimately, the answers, even in that lonely world of CEOs, needs to come from their side of the table. But there, we need to question those things and help them get past them. It's those three key questions, a more beautiful question. Why is it this way? What if we did it differently? How would we do it? You know, the day... The day after I was made CEO of the company, the the very th thing that Rich mentioned earlier was um, one of my 
friends from my engineering department said, good, now you have all the answers. <laughs> and, and you know, the reality is not only is it lonely, but you don't have all the answers. But you're in a position that everybody's watching and we're afraid to make mistakes yeah. and we're afraid to admit we don't have answers and we need to be seen in control of the company. Mm-hmm. And so there's this real challenge, this imbalance between I need help, I need to talk to somebody about this, but I need to make sure that people realize that there is somebody running the company and that that we're going to get through whatever it is. Yeah, captain's on the bridge. Yeah. And 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 so you know, my recommendation is you need to find somebody you can trust. Somebody that understands what it means to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Um that's maybe if 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 they haven't been there, they at least have really good empathy, and they understand, you know, that that we all face whether it's leading a family, whether it's leading a club, whether it's leading a company or a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, those same challenges and difficulties kind of exist, and you've got to have people around you that you can rely on, uh, not just at work and at home, but you need that personal support that can help you get through the tough times because that tough times are coming. They're going to happen. Yep. And and you can even make it through and be pretty successful at a company without anything major happening, but that doesn't mean you've seen it all. Of course. Not. You know? It 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 so so you know, my recommendation is get get some people you can lean on and you can talk to. And and realize you're not alone, and get the help when you need it, um, and and you can get through it, and you can be better for it often. Hmm. So to kind of land this plane, um, the question was: uh, Is it part of the job, the loneliness? And it sounds like it is. It's certainly. I, I don't know if I define it as part of the job, but it is always there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we can define the, the job description of all the things you're responsible for in that business success pyramid. But it, Kevin said earlier, it's how you do the job. And part of the how is that you better understand that the pressures, the loneliness, some days the depression are going to be there. And you need some ability to share what you're dealing with and to feel like you've got somebody who has your back and and again it's what we do so Mm -hmm. uh, this sounds like a commercial i don't mean it to be that way all of us need that uh you know my son-in-law was here in my front room the other day and he said i need somebody to talk to will you talk me through this and i don't know that i helped him a lot but he walked out of here saying i have more clarity of what to do that's really kind of what we're looking for with each CEO client. Do, do, when we've spent a couple of hours with them or they've been in a forum, do you walk out with some clarity for the next two or three steps you've got to take? Not 
the whole thing. Right. But, but yes, it's it is. Again, I'm searching for the right word. It it is inherent to the yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you started out talking about a, a pro athlete, mm-hmm. world class athlete, best mm-hmm. that there has been, and mm-hmm. and having having a bad day mm-hmm. or a few days. Yeah. They have a coach. They do. They're not doing it alone. Yeah. They have a coach. Matter of fact, do you know any world-class athlete that doesn't have a coach? Nope, not a one. I, I think I think the reality is we all need sometimes somebody that gets it, they understand it, and they can help us through the tough times. And And that's what she's leaning on right now to get through this and to continue to compete. And move forward. This isn't the end of her career. No. Probably. Um, You know, this is a bump in the road or a mogul in the hill or whatever (laughs) it happens to be. It's it's interesting. uh, Every time we talk about the issues of CEOs, it kind of centers around the importance of the community and the support system and the people that surround them. And I think that's just a – I think it's a great way to end it is – Try to surround yourself with good people that are going to help you be better. Mm-hmm. And uh, CEO Builder has made a reputation of being one of those for our CEOs. And any last thoughts? I guess one thing I would say that I'm just picking up on on your last comment is that the best CEOs that I think manage this loneliness, that sense of depression sometimes and struggles, they, they not only have a coach, somebody to work with, but they have built a community around themselves and their companies where their people will help buoy them up. And, and that's why it's so important that they see their role in part as creating the vision and the purpose of the organization, its mission, the values. And, and, and they talk about that enough that they create that sense of belonging around those core principles. When you create that sense of belonging we look at it and say, well, we want a highly engaged culture that will help you create all the business outcomes. And that's true. But some of that culture is also the scaffolding that will hold you up as a leader. Oh, that's a good point. So Great point. Well, thank you guys again. It was a great discussion, and we'll be back next week.